Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill. We are a church in Milwaukee, Oregon. Uh, we meet in person on online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. In the week, we have a, a podcast called 20-Minute Bible Study, where we just study the Bible, go through books of the Bible 20 minutes at a time. So if you've ever wondered, hey, uh, you know, this preacher's going a little long, maybe he should have a timer. On that podcast, we do. So <laughs> that might be the, the Bible study podcast for you. That's available, by the way, on, on Apple, uh, Spotify for audio podcasts, and then the video gets posted on our Facebook as well. And then, of course, our in-person gatherings are on our website, faithonhill.com, or sorry, our online gatherings are on our website, faithonhill.com, our Facebook, and then we are in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 with masks and social distancing and all of that. We're going to start this morning with the same verse that we ended our last study in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14, Jesus has just had the Last Supper with his disciples. A few days earlier, he had entered Jerusalem triumphant, victorious, declaring himself to be the Messiah, accepting the praise of the people. And last time we ended with this verse, verse 42, chapter 14. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared to him with a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, rabbi and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, that is an odd thing to have in the Bible. What's going on with this young guy streaking? It is commonly believed, not everyone believes this, but I, I do that this is Mark himself, that Mark, the writer of this gospel, was an eyewitness to this particular event. It would explain a few things. It would explain how Mark uh, knew some of the things that were happening while the disciples had all fallen asleep. It would explain the vividness of the account. It would explain why this thing is in here in the first place. So it's my personal belief that a young, like 12, 13-year-old Mark had seen them leave. There's many who, who believe, and I, I don't have time to get into this, but there's many who believe that it's possible that his house was the one used for the Last Supper. 
and that he had followed Jesus, and he was just in his, you know, just in his boxers, and he'd thrown a blanket over himself because he'd been going to sleep. And so he followed them, and he got found out by one of the guards. And this awkward story, which, you know, we were all 13 once, or, you know, in our life, and uh, I'm sure all of us have awkward stories, probably none, none quite like this, but uh, that's what's going on here. Now, verse 53, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. The Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days build another not made with human hands. But even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? And Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. We do not need any more witnesses. You have heard this man, excuse me, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And guards took him and beat him. And while Jesus, while Peter, verse 66, while Peter was in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around him, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it, but after a little while, those standing near to Peter said, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And he began calling down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. This is God's word. The big idea for this morning is get used to rejection. Jesus, at this verse 42, said, rise, let's go. My betrayer 
comes. And you can't betray somebody without, in some sense, rejecting them. Get used to rejection as we walk in the steps, in the way of Jesus. The experience, not just of the last few years, but of the past few centuries of the American church, of the Western church, has been one of cultural dominance. It just has. Christendom, this idea of of the Christian lands, one nation under God. But that's never been the historical experience of 99% of Christians. The historical experience of true Christians has been one of rejection. Now, someone might say, well, wait. What about the official church starting in in the 300s AD where, where Rome made Christianity the official religion? Read history. Rome might have made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire under Constantine. But now, now, Christian pastors and Christian leaders were just as likely to be thrown in prison or exiled for something they did that offended a politician as they were for preaching the gospel. In fact, some of the people who thought it was a great idea for Constantine to make Christianity the official religion got thrown into jail just a few years later because uh, they didn't support a political position. Rejection, get used to it. There are people who cry persecution, persecution, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what they're really saying is we aren't in charge anymore. That's not the same as persecution. Jesus went willingly towards his betrayer. Now, when they come, when, when Judas brings the guards, the mob, those with clubs and swords to come by force to arrest Jesus, notice that Jesus does speak out. Verse 48 and 49, he says, am I leading a rebellion? I was out in public every day. I came into the city publicly. And you didn't arrest me, even though the crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even though the, the Pharisees and the scribes were told that they said, hey, tell your people to stop it. And he said, if they didn't, the very stones would cry out. It's so right what's happening right now. And you didn't arrest him then. And every day he went into the temple courts and he taught the people. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the teachers of the law came and challenged him openly. And they didn't arrest him then. So Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy, the injustice of the moment. He's saying, if, you're, if you really had a problem 
You should have come at the right time in the right way. This is an unjust act. And it's illegal. Under Jewish law, in Jewish custom, in Jewish culture, you never had a trial in the middle of the night. You didn't come and get somebody and arrest somebody in the middle of the night. Everything was supposed to be done in the day, in the light, where the whole community could see. Transparency was supposed to be the hallmark of their justice system. So what is happening right now is, is unjust, it's hypocritical, and it's illegal, and Jesus is calling them out on it. Jesus is calling it out, and yet he embraced the will of his Father. The will of God the Father was for Jesus, God the Son, to go to the cross, because there was no other way. If you remember our previous study in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, if there is any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. So he calls out the injustice, he calls out the illegality, but he embraces the will of the Father. There is a question about persecution. Is there persecution in America? Because there are those who claim that the Christian church is under attack in America. There are those who say that there is persecution coming and is here for Christians in America. Do you remember the movie Pirates of the Caribbean? I know that's an odd thing to reference, but bear with me. There's a point. I remember going to see that movie and I had no expectations. I mean, it's based off of a theme park ride. And I know it's, it's hard to remember because he's been a big star for so long. But at that point, when that movie came out, Johnny Depp hadn't done anything good in years. And so, uh, you know, you go see this movie with, you know, a lead actor who hadn't been the biggest actor in the world at that point for, for a while. And I expected nothing. But my brother really wanted to go. And if I remember right, uh, he wasn't driving yet. So I drove him to the theater because he really wanted to go see the movie. So there I am at a movie that I have no interest in seeing. And I had a great time. It's a fun movie. It's, it's a still a fun movie. The first Pirates, it got, it got ridiculous later, but the first Pirates is a very, very fun movie. There is a great line, and it's one that I quote to myself as a reminder. And it's the scene where Captain Jack, that's Johnny Depp, and Will Turner, that's Orlando Bloom, Legolas from Lord of the Rings, you know, that they are on the, the ship that they've stolen. And Captain Jack reveals that he knew Will Turner's father. And that Will Turner's father was a pirate. And of course, Will says, you know, that can't be. My father was a good man. And Captain Jack says to him, your father was a good man and a pirate. And you can either accept that or you can't. And the point of that dialogue, which I think is brilliant writing, is that the world is complex and people are complex and that there is nuance. 
and everybody likes the simple explanation. Oh, he's a good person. Well, no, your father was a more complex person than that. That he was a good man, but he was also a pirate. And there were these two things that are conflicting and they're also both true. Is there persecution coming? Is there persecution of the church right now in America? Yes and no. Here's what I mean by that. Those, those who scream loudest about persecution of the church in America, and I'm not saying this is everyone, but I think, I think there's some truth here, so work with me on this. Follow the money. Those who scream loudest about persecution, of the threat of persecution of the church in America, often have a fundraising campaign directly linked with those alarmist messages. I'm not saying always, but I am saying follow the money. At the same time, at the same time, there are places where Christians in America right now are being treated wrongly, unfairly, unjustly, and maybe even illegally because of their faith. That's what we would call persecution, and it is happening. I know people in America, in our part of America, today who have been bullied because of their faith. Somebody found out they were a Christian, knew nothing else, just found out that they were a Christian, didn't know what kind of church they went to, didn't know what they personally thought about any issue. Immediately, the bullying began. I know people that have had trouble with their career because of their faith. I mean, our church, we're in the middle of a legal battle right now. So there are there people within governments or, or whatever that have a thing against the church or have a, a thing that goes against the church? Absolutely, yes. And right now, do I believe that Clackamas County is against the church? No. But right now, I know that a part of Clackamas County is acting unjustly and we believe illegally towards our church and not just our church, but several other churches and Christian organizations in the county. So when do you stand up for yourself? I mean, we've got a lawsuit going. And when do you walk willingly like Jesus did? Because there would be some that would read this verse and say, faith on hill, what you're doing right now, you should just shut up and take it just like Jesus. But he didn't just shut up. He called out the illegality and the injustice. So how do we know when to do what? I think the will of God is key to the question here when it comes to persecution. Verse 65, the high priest comes to Jesus and, and he says, are you, are you the, cho the blessed one? Are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. 
And it says they spat on him and they blindfolded him and they beat him. That was immoral. It was unjust. And it was illegal. A prisoner was not supposed to be mistreated. In fact, we know that because uh, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was beaten in a similar way during his trial. And he calls it out that it was unlawful for them to do such a thing, just as it's unlawful for them to do what they're doing to Christ. And yet he took it. But in the book of Acts, chapter 23, verse 25, the apostle Paul had been arrested by the Romans and they were about to flog him, just like Jesus was flogged. If you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ or Jesus of Nazareth, these whips that they had that wasn't one long whip like Indiana Jones had, but it was a whip that had many ends and there were pieces of glass and bone and rock embedded in those ends that would tear your back open. And they were about to do this to the Apostle Paul. And he says to them, is it lawful for you to do this to a Roman citizen? Because a Roman citizen was not to be treated in such a way. In fact, the, the person that did that to a Roman citizen was suffer, you know, liable to suffer the death penalty for it. So he said, hey, what you're doing is not right. Because he didn't want to get flogged. And then in chapter 25, verse 11 of the book of Acts, after two years of show trials where they, they should have made a judgment against Paul and either carried out the sentence or released him. But for two years, they held him because they were using him as a political pawn and they were trying to squeeze him for a bribe. And finally, he said, I appeal to Caesar because as a Roman citizen, he had the right for justice. And one of the rights that a Roman citizen had was that they, if they had injustice being carried out against them by a local magistrate, a local governor, that they had the right to appeal to Caesar and to be sent to Rome to be tried by Caesar. They had the right to that. And he claimed that right. So how do you know when? And I believe the will of God is key. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus submitted himself. God the Son submitted himself to the will of God the Father. And God's will was for Jesus to go to the cross because there was no other way. The only way for a, a redemption the only way for sins to be washed away, not just covered up, not just ignored, but obliterated, was through someone else taking the justice and the judgment that my sin and your sins deserved. And God loves you so much that he was willing that no one would perish. So he sent Jesus to the cross. So how do we know when to act one way and when to act another way? I'd say, what's the will of God? The will of God was for Christ to go to the cross. The will of God was for Paul to stand before the emperor and proclaim the gospel. 
So in one case, you have somebody who is silent before their accusers. In another case, you have somebody who claims their rights. Which is the will of God? Incident, it's interesting to me, one of the things I hear from people who are speaking loudly about persecution is that anytime somebody mentions in the book of Romans where it says, submit to the governing authorities, for no authority has been, has been established except for by God. What they'll say is that's different. The church in that day was under the Roman Empire, but we're Americans with a constitutional right, and so we have to stand for our rights. Jesus wasn't being tried by the Romans here. This trial was done by the Jewish leaders, the high priests, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees. Under Jewish law, he had the right to a trial by day, and he didn't stand up for that. He had the right to be acquitted because no accuser could agree on anything. It's one of the things in Jewish law that if two witnesses couldn't agree, the trial's thrown out. But the will of God was for him to go to the cross. I just know this. The will of God is for us to be humble. And if in humility, we feel that in this moment we need to stand firm, then stand firm in humility. The will of God is for us to love our neighbor. And if in the moment we find ourselves in, we find that we are being persecuted because we have proclaimed Christ out of love for our neighbor, then that's just part of the course. I don't know the answer for every specific situation, but I know that I, I can look for God's will and God's leading, and I can know there are moments where we stand and we say, hey, this isn't right. And there are moments where we say, this is the way of Christ. I almost said this is the way. Some of you won't get that. That's okay. Ask your grandkids. But this is the way of Jesus. There is persecution and there isn't persecution. Now they bring evidence, verse 55 and 56. And they can't agree. And I've never understood why they couldn't get this together because they have illegally arrested Jesus. They've plotted and paid somebody off to betray him. They're having an illegal trial. You wouldn't think they would have a problem getting a group of people together and say, hey guys, here is the story and we're all going to testify to this and we're all going to agree to this. But they had no evidence and no consistency in their witnesses because Jesus had done nothing wrong. So they, they had nothing left. And it was Jesus himself that gave them the rope with which to form the noose. They had nothing. 
They had no evidence. Nothing with which they could use against him. And Jesus says, I am. He declared himself. It's funny, there are people that say, Jesus never claimed to be God. The chief priest knew what Jesus was claiming because he tore his robes in that cultural act of grief and mourning. Blasphemy, he said. There had been plenty who had claimed to be the Messiah who had not been considered blasphemous in the statement. They knew what Jesus was claiming. And here's Peter out in the courtyard while all this is happening. Out in the courtyard while all this is happening. And he's warming himself. And the servant girl sees him. You see, Peter was found out for two reasons. And the first was his public association with Jesus. Maybe she had seen him walking through Jerusalem with Jesus. She recognized him. And she said, you're one of them. And he says, I never knew him. I don't know what you're talking about. And he leaves and he goes to another part of the courtyard. And she sees him there again. And No, no, you're one of him. You're, you're one of those followers of this man, Jesus. And he says, I don't know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. Get away from me. And then he's found out by cultural association. They recognize his accent. Apparently the Galilean accent, you know, is the same as for us. If, well, if you're from Georgia, you know, we just know it. You're from Boston. We all know you're wicked smart, right? And so, so, so this accent, this Galilean accent was a very recognizable thing, apparently. And so by public association and cultural association, he was found out. And I think we should be a little wary of justifying or overly criticizing Peter. Peter was the only one, all the other disciples fled. When, when we talk about Peter betraying Jesus, all of the disciples failed Jesus. They all fled. Peter at least followed. At the same time, watch out for justifying Peter because he was not in the right here at any point. He denies Jesus, he had said, though all others fall away, I will not abandon you. And everyone else had fallen away. There was no disciple there except him. But he betrayed and he abandoned and he rejected and he denied. So there are some who are overly critical of Peter. And there are some who try to find ways to justify Peter. Because if you can find ways to justify Peter, then you can find ways to justify your own failings. I just want to recognize, hey, he was there. And yet in that moment, he failed. And it says that he wept. He broke down and he wept because Jesus' words had come to pass. There's going to come times when we stand before people, when somebody says, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And maybe it's because of public association. You know, you get tagged in a Facebook photo of a church thing. Maybe it's a cultural association. You, you know, um, something that, that's very common for kids like me that grew up in the church in the 90s uh, is that um, 
we don't have a lot of the same cultural associations as people that didn't grow up in the church. And, um, and so if you grew up, you know, watching, uh, you know, oh, did you see this movie when you were a kid? Like, no, I wasn't allowed to watch that movie. Why not? Uh, uh, and so, you know, then you're trying to explain what McGee and Me is or, or what uh, Adventures in Odyssey is or these very, very specific to evangelical Protestant Christian culture and growing up in those times. And so then all of a sudden you're found out, maybe you're not found out by, by public association, but something about cultural association finds you out. And you have a moment where you stand before people and they're saying, who are you? What do you believe? I know this. True Christian faith. And I have no trouble separating the formalized church from the true church. Somebody says, well, don't you know what the, the Church of England did in, in, in 1740? Or don't you know what the, the state church or the Catholic church or whatever? Like, just because a building or an organization has the label church on it doesn't mean anything. The true Christians, those who are full of the Holy Spirit, those who are following in the way of Jesus. And by the way, I believe that that will lead to churches. I'm, 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 I'm all for churches, but I can recognize that there are things that call itself Christianity that are not. But the true Christian faith the real kingdom of heaven is not going to ruin us popularity in this world. We already know that the political left rejects so many things in the word of God, but did you know the political right does too? Talk to pastors in places like Wyoming and Montana and the Dakotas and Eastern Oregon. And if they were to go and teach the Bible cover to cover, every part of the Bible. Wouldn't we say that's a good thing? Wouldn't you think that, well, sure, in, in Portland and San Francisco, it would be hard to teach the whole Bible, but, but not in Hermiston, not in Cheyenne, not in, not in uh, Billings. And yet, if you teach the whole Bible and you teach the part about God saying, you have to treat the foreigner and the alien well, you have to take in the refugee, immediately that pastor is labeled a socialist. If they come and they say, love your neighbor as yourself, and then that passage, somebody says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And they say, well, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And in our culture, if Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan today, the Good Samaritan might be your political enemy. It might be Bernie Sanders. It might be, uh, it might be somebody who's part of the, the, the LGBTQ community. It, it might be somebody, whoever you think of as the most immoral, compromised person. That's the Good Samaritan. So understand that true Christian faith isn't going to win us popularity on the right or the left, among the old or the young, the kingdoms of men reject the kingdom of heaven. It just is how it has always been. It's how it always will be until one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The question is, until that day, will you still follow? And maybe you've been watching this and you say, I believe in Jesus. I can't believe how much God loves me 
that Jesus would go through all of this for me. But I've hidden my faith. Like Peter, come, somebody's come to me and said, are you one of them? And because I didn't want to be seen as a stereotype, because I didn't want to be seen as one of those hateful Christians that they talk about on TV, so I, I was quiet or I downplayed it or I pretended not to hear or whatever. Maybe you, you hear this and you say, you know what, I, I know that, that this is all real, but like Peter, I haven't fully given part of my life to Jesus. I, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe God loves me and I love God, but, but there is a fullness of surrender I haven't. I haven't had yet in my life. Here's the good news. That the Peter who stood here in this story is not the same Peter we read about in the book of Acts. And it's because of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, changing his life. God's the God of victory. And that if you are feeling defeated, God is not defeated. And wherever you are at, whether you're at home on your couch, whether you're watching this on your phone, whether you're listening uh, through your headphones on a jog, you know, at our podcast, however you're, you're hearing this, the God of victory wants to work in your life just as he worked in Peter's life. Because persecution will come. It is come. It, it's coming, however you want to think of it. The rejection of True believers is always been part of the Christian experience. Jesus was rejected by this world and we are his servants. We are his followers. How are we any better than our master? We're not. They'll reject us for our, for our faith in Jesus. But Jesus wants to do that work in our hearts. And wherever you're at, God hears you. And I believe he will answer that prayer. Because he loves you so much that he sent his only son. That any person, old or young, man or woman, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, gay, straight, not sure what's going on, any who believe in Jesus will not die, but will have everlasting life. So confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins, and trust in faith that God's going to do the work. Because he will, and he is, and he has been. God bless you. If you have any questions, adam at faithonhill.com. We're here every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on our website, faithonhill.com, on our Facebook. Audio versions are available on Apple Spotify and, and, and Apple Podcasts. You know, these, however you're getting this, just know that God loves you. And God's people care about you. God bless you.